for you uh, to enjoy um, this coming fall, as you call it over there in America, Ed. Uh, yeah, for uh, reasons that uh, have escaped me. Yeah, it's so that spring forward, fall back, clock winding thing works, possibly. Maybe, but that seems like a lot of effort to go to for uh, a, a simple mnemonic. Mm, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, that's the US of A for you, man. Um, yeah, they're into that shit. Um, this also gives us an opportunity, because we obviously did the, the, the preview episode at the start of the year. Um, this also gives us a great opportunity to talk about the films that we completely missed um, off our lists and also um, some others that we've kind of had on the radar but perhaps haven't given uh, much thought to. Um, and also some films have been moved forward, some films have been moved fa- back. I don't think we'll ever see Foxcatcher. <laughs> um, that's just never going to happen. Um um, but yeah, I mean, chronologically, uh, what have we got coming up in uh, kind of September, Ed? Uh, my, my first one on my list is a film called Horns, which is a film I've been looking forward to for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a horror film uh, based on a novel by Joe Hill, who's a, a really good horror writer, and directed by Alexander Arja, who people probably know best from directing Switchblade Romance and, and the first Piranha. Uh, and it's a, it's a dark comedy about a a man who wakes up one day to discover he has devil horns that allow him to manipulate people around him and make them do things that uh, subconsciously they want to do uh, but may not realise it consciously. And it uh, stars... Uh, the trailers for it have been, look really, really good. They have the right balance of dark humour and, and genuine kind of menace. And uh, it stars Daniel Radcliffe, who's an actor I'm always interested in, particularly uh, now that he's sort of gone beyond Harry Potter and he's trying to... Uh, expand his talents and his range as an actor. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. I mean, I think he's a really good actor and some of the stuff we've seen him in. Interestingly, he said this week in an interview, didn't he? I was terrible in Harry Potter. He <laughs> actually came out and said that. And, um, I mean, I, I, I agree. He was dreadful in it. I mean, they all were. Mm. But then they didn't. They weren't the greatest of, uh, of material to work with in terms of film scripts because it was pretty much just three hours of exposition for all the characters to... Uh, kind of navigate and then a wizard turns up at the end and explains everything yeah well I I'm still have quite a lot of affection to it because I was a big fan of the books um, but yeah you're you're right they uh, they were always you know none of them were particularly good but all three of those actors were kind of doing the best they could but they, they never seemed to be able to hide their precociousness and kind of deal with the 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 material as well as you know all the adults around them who were you know generally you know pretty good at, at what they needed to do to make those films work yeah it's a tough gig for a kid when uh i mean i i, I kind of I'm not really a huge fan of harry potter i've mm. read the books most of them i kind of stopped some way into the series um and i've seen all the films and yeah, i don't really have a problem with them on a kind of ideological level um, but yeah, it's a tough gig for three kid actors to be uh, to have a lot of kind of uh, leaden exposition to have to deliver. Um, anyway, I feel like this is a uh, a tangent we're off on. Um, 
and you know we need to stay focused with a lot of films to get through uh next film to get through see that's how to do a tangent uh <laughs> is a film that like i'm intrigued by but i think it's probably going to be quite bad mm. uh which is a film called are you here which is um the debut feature film from uh mad men creators matthew weiner um starring owen wilson zach galifianakis and amy poehler which is you know a great cast uh why am i skeptical about it um, because it, it sounds like an indie by numbers plot, mm. which is uh, two old friends, who's one of their friends' dads recently died, go on a road trip to see what they've inherited. Uh, I mean, that's just that kind of sounds like, uh, you know, indie 101 filmmaking, script writing, just, you know, pull plot threads at random. Um, but yeah, also got very dreadful reviews at Toronto Film Festival. Yeah, that doesn't help. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in pretty much the same boat as you on that one. You know, I think the cast is great. Uh, you know, really, really fantastic people involved, and I like Matthew Weiner's work a great deal as well. But you know, you just it it, it looks like it it could be you know okay, mm-hmm. but I think for the most part, it seems to confirm that he maybe like you know David Chase with his debut feature uh, is someone who accidentally discovered that they're the medium they should be working in is television uh, rather than film, even though maybe deep down they always actually wanted to make films. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I've not got, got hot, particularly high hopes for it. Yeah. Um, also in September, I mean, obviously we've become used to, um, you know, for decades now having a summer blockbuster season, but, in, in you know, probably since since the Harry Potters and the Lord of the Rings films have come out, and blockbuster season is kind of extended. It never ends. Mm. Um, and uh, kind of September's big blockbuster is uh, The Maze Runner, which is just the very latest in a long, seemingly endless line of uh, young adult trilogies that are being adapted for the screen. Um, the last few have kind of been quite bad. Like Divergent went down like a, like a wet shit. Uh, <laughs> so did uh, Ender's Game. Um, will this fare any better, Ed, do you think? Uh, probably not. Uh, um, uh, I, I'm only interested in it purely because of uh, Will Poulter, who I've been a fan of since uh, Son of Rambo. Uh, and, you know, the the trailer looks interesting and there's some nice visuals. But having not read the books, I don't know how much material that you can there is in, you know, the story of people being trapped in a maze and trying to get out of it. I doesn't really feel like there's much there, really. Mm. But what I will say is that, you know, there's this kind of gold rush thing going on at the moment with um, YA adaptations where so many of them are being made uh, that, you know, one of them has to, you know, be a Hunger Games, one of them has to be, you know, genuinely a decent film as well as connecting with, you know, the the target demo, you know, the the big audience that they're going for. Uh, I'm not sure if this one will be it. Um, you know, I think that they, they kind of cramp these films out and each terrible one suggests that people don't really care that much about making them. Mm. I think somewhere there should be a, um, a Wreck-It Ralph style uh, film that has all the characters from young adult trilogies that they only <laughs> made the first film of. Um, I think that would be pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, just to see what happened to all these like the young characters who are now kind of like old, bloated, alcoholic, <laughs> depressives. Anyway, again, uh, tangentially, we're off. What else have you got kind of kind of in uh, early autumn? Uh, next on my list is a film called The Drop, uh, which is a crime thriller starring Tom Hardy and uh, Numi Rapace and directed by 
a, a I believe, a, a French director uh, called Michael, I can't read my writing, uh, Rishkum, who uh, made a film called Bullhead a few years ago that uh, got a lot of very good reviews and, and was uh, Oscar-nominated, I believe. And, uh, you know, it's, it's as I say, it's a, it's a dark crime thriller with a really good cast, uh, but it's perhaps most notable, at least for me, and I'm sure a lot of people, for being the final film that James Gandolfini uh, completed before his, his untimely death uh, last year. And, uh, yeah, pr- formerly known as uh, Animal Rescue, uh, but now, you know, we have a much more evocative uh, title. You know, there's, there's still a chance that it could be bad, because obviously there's a history of foreign language directors struggling when they make their English language debut and having to deal with, you know, the, the studio interference. Uh, but, uh, you know, hopefully with the, the people involved, um, you know, it, it'll hopefully be a really interesting film nonetheless. Yeah. Um, looking at you, Wong Kar Wai, uh, <laughs> not, not making a good English language debut. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I saw that actually, kind of, um, previewed on kind of around the place, but didn't actually, um, uh, think that it was the same film. I didn't know it was the same film as Animal Rescue, which I've obviously heard a lot about. Um, but it has a much better title, The Drop. Yeah, it's, uh, got fewer sort of connotations and relations to certain disgraced, uh, British celebrities. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, the drop um, uh, just makes me think of Drop Zone, the uh, <laughs> terrible uh, kind of parachuting thriller starring Wesley Snipes and Gary Busey. Uh, yeah, I've seen that. It's terrible. Oh, yeah, it's awful. It's awful, <laughs> really bad. Um, um, yeah, well, that's an episode in itself, <laughs> a Drop Zone. Um, well, we can talk about it when they get around to remaking yeah, it. it. It's no terminal velocity, which is very similar. Uh, uh, film that was released around the same time um, and when the Charlie Sheen version is superior to the Wesley Snipes version you know there's something something going on <laughs> um, uh, kind of uh, in the next in my uh, in my series of films that kind of sound great but with massive caveats um, there's a film called This Is Where I Leave You which mm. um, sounds intriguing in the sense that it is a apparently hard R rated comedy which I'm always a fan of Mm. And uh, again, it sounds a little bit like an indie 101 uh, uh, plotline with four siblings, uh, kind of estranged siblings whose father dies and they have to come and live in a house together. What could happen? What capers could go down? Um, but then I'm interestingly uh, kind of my interest is peaked when uh, three of the siblings are played by Jason Bateman, Tina Fey and Adam Driver. Mm. And the mum of the family is played by Jane Fonda. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of instantly uh, aroused <laughs> by that cast, uh, but then my uh, chumescent member uh, starts to, <laughs> to kind of deflate when I hear that it's directed by Sean Levy, mm. who uh, directed The Internship and all of the night the museum movies. Yeah, I think of all of the films on our list that have, uh, have kind of good qualities, but also very dubious uh, creators... Uh, that one's you know, quite high up on the list because, like you say, it has a, an amazing cast. You know, you know, also people like you know, Connie Britton, who you know I love, she you know, is is in it as well. And uh, it's uh, it's, but you know, I've seen the trailers for it and it looks horribly broad. Uh, you know, maybe mm. they can't show all the good stuff in the like the, the PG thirteen trailers that I've seen. But you know, as you say, Sean Levy hasn't got the, the greatest track record, uh, and. and you know, there's. I, I would hope that the interesting things about it will trump out over the incredibly uninteresting things. Uh, but uh, yeah, that one I think we'll just have to wait and see. But you know, I, I, I would. I hope it's a good one. Mm, yeah, 
Yeah, pushing through into uh, October. Uh, what, else, what have you got on your list? Uh, I actually have two more in September. Uh, I have The Imitation Game, which is a film uh, could, could be terrible Oscar bait, but you know it's it's about the life of Alan Turing, who uh, was a mathematician who was a hero during World War Two, fell from code breaking and helped create a lot of the theory that would go behind uh, modern computing. Uh, but because he was gay, was treated abominably by the British government. Uh, stars Benedict Cumberbatch, who can be a great actor in the right 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 role, and you know it, I think it could be quite good. And at the very least, it seems like he's going for the, the first part of his, his uh, EGOT, or the next part of his EGOT. Uh, well, a Grammy after that, surely. Yeah, well, maybe you can do an audiobook. That seems to be the, the surefire way to to win a, 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 a Grammy, and, you know, he's got a great voice for it. Uh-huh. Uh, also around that time, I've got Rosewater, which is the debut directorial feature by uh, John Stewart of The Daily Show, which is a, a, a film that I'm interested in uh, because, you know, he helped inadvertently shape the story. It's about, an, a, I believe, a Canadian-Iranian uh, journalist who uh, was held captive and tortured for a great period of time, uh, partly for appearing on The Daily Show. They used his appearance there against him and said it was seditious and, and traitorous. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting story, and it uh, stars Gail Garcia-Barnell, who uh, I'm a huge fan of and who has a lot of, uh, has a lot of weight with me. So uh, I, I'm... You know, and also, obviously, there's, there's just the question of what would a directorial direct debut by John Stewart be, especially mm. a uh, a drama that he kind of co-wrote in you know multiple senses of the word. So uh, you know that one, I, I'm really uh, really excited about. Although I think uh, Bernal's stock has fallen with me slightly since that Gillette advert <laughs> that he did with uh, Adrian Brody and uh, Andre Three Thousand. Yeah, I think all of their stocks fell after that, uh, except for mm. uh, Adrian Brody's, which uh, oddly rose. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Brody's stock is, is uh, I feel bad saying it, but it's fucking plummeting. Mm. Uh, I, what did I see he's doing now? He's playing uh, Houdini uh, in a two-part miniseries on the fucking History Channel. Yeah, that's a real step down, especially when you consider he was playing uh, uh, Dali on, in Midnight in Paris, you know, just a, a couple of years ago. Step mm. down. Yeah. It'll be Paul McKenna next. Uh, <laughs> that career, career trajectory kind of follows, uh, you know, that path. Um, uh, intriguing film uh, with people that I know that you and I are huge fans of, uh, The Skeleton Twins, ah, yes. um, which is a... Uh, which got, unlike um, the film I mentioned earlier, uh, Are You Here, um, got great notices coming out of uh, early festival um Kind of screenings. Mm. Uh, the Skeleton Twins is a kind of comedy drama with Kristen Wiig, who we love, and Bill Hader, who we also love. Yep. Um, as they play twins, estranged twins, who when they both weirdly, bizarrely, and I'm sure through a set of contrivances that will become clear when we see the film, uh, they both cheat death on the same day and happen to find themselves unestranged. <laughs> estranged. <laughs> Um, and kind of uh, forge a relationship out of that. Now, what could go wrong with this film? Well, you know, if we were talking about indie by numbers earlier, and there's always the danger that it could be could be that that it could just be, you know, the the standard indie fare. But it seems to be just outside of uh, the norm enough to be interesting. And uh, obviously, you know, uh, Kristen Wiig is a great comedic actress who uh, I think. 
you know, has dramatic potential that hasn't really been tapped. And, uh, you know, Bill Hader is just like a magical human being who I think, uh, you know, can do, can do really great things. So I think it'll be really cool and interesting to see them, uh, working together in, you know, a, a non, uh, sketch comedy based, uh, context. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I'm desperate to see Bill Hader flex his acting chops. Mm. Uh, I saw him the other day in to- the to do list, which is uh, a film that we previewed, I think two years ago, mm. that we were looking forward to. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was awful. Oh, no. Um, and basically he plays the same character he does in Adventureland, but, like, more of an alcoholic. Oh, right. Um, and instead of managing an adventure park, it's a swimming pool. Mm. But it does exactly... It's, oh, it's, it's really shit. Which is really, such a shame because there's so many really great people in it. It's awful. Yeah. Um, it's anyway. The, it's the uh, You Are Here of 2011. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um uh weird kind of TV adaptation uh film coming up in October. Um I mean I remember the eighties. Mm. Uh I remember Edward Woodward in the Equalizer. Uh when I watched it, one thing I didn't think was that one day they'd make a film of it with Denzel Washington in the Woodward role. Um what's going on there? Yeah, I think uh, everyone saw it mentioned in The Wolf of Wall Street and just decided it had to be a film now. It's the only uh, explanation I can think of. Uh, but, um, no, I, I think that's a, that's a film that's been kicking around a while. I think that uh, at one point Steven Soderbergh was attached to it, although, you know, what wasn't he attached to before he, he announced his quote-unquote retirement? Uh, and I think it's just a case of it's a, it's a fairly uh, familiar name that you know people can kind of glom onto and use to sell the film. Uh, although it does feel like something that would have been better uh, if you know it was Tony Scott involved. Uh, you know, it seems to be his sort of thing, and it seems to be in the vein of something like Man on Fire. Yeah, um, I can't remember it being that great. The Equalizer. No, I think you know it's just a, a fairly generic premise with a familiar name, so they can just stick a, a recognisable star in there and just release it as if it's a, a new thing. Mm, yeah, um, kind of pointless. I mention it. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like such a non-event. Um, what else have you got around that time coming out? Uh, speaking of, of adaptations, things that might be event, we've got uh, David Fincher's Gone Girl. Ah, oh, right, yes. Uh, you know, adaptation of the the Gillian Finn, Flynn book, which uh, everyone was reading about a year ago. Uh, you know, it, it, the trailer's been released now, and it looks suitably moody. Stars Ben Affleck as a a man who um, whose wife goes missing, and he becomes the the prime suspect in her her disappearance. And you know, it's you know Fincher's. You know, I'm always interested in whatever Fincher does. You know, he's a very a, a very cool and and very moody director, and someone who can turn kind of pulpy stuff into uh, stuff that's really really uh powerful and you know the, the book has you know a really great reputation and i think there's a sense that it will be a hit regardless of quality and the only potential issue is that fincher seems to be choosing his projects now based on you know whatever book he picks up at the airport hmm. yeah yeah that could be an issue but you know um, like, like i say the um uh, you know, Fincher can make really pulpy material really, really great, and you know, hopefully, the film will be closer to Seven than uh, Girl with the Tra- Dag- Dragon Tattoo, which uh, you know I really, really wasn't particularly fond of. Um, I tell you what, I find interesting about Gone Girl mm-hmm. is um, it's got a great cast, mm. um, and 
uh, cast really weirdly includes Tyler Perry. Yeah, he's uh, making his, I think it's his third film where he hasn't uh, directed, because he was in the Star Trek reboot and uh, the reboot of the Alex Cross franchise that no one cared about. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he seems to be trying to uh, expand his his brand and his abilities outside of his usual roles, which uh, seems uh, prudent considering his sort of his recent films that he has been writing and directing have uh, have not been as popular. So clearly, he's he's realizing that his appeal is uh, limited even within his own kind of niche audience. Uh, mm. So yeah. Uh, but still, it's very, very weird to consider him being, in, you know, a really serious dark thriller. Yeah, given how straight-faced David Finch's films are and how kind of gloomy the film looks from the trailer, it'd be fucking awesome if Tyler Perry turned up as Medea. <laughs> Tyler Perry's Gone Girl. <laughs> uh, Tyler Perry's Why Did I Kidnap This Girl? <laughs> that's <laughs> that's an alternate title for you, right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Well, that's maybe one for the drawing board. <laughs> um, uh, I'm very excited about uh, the new Studio Leica film, Box mm. Trolls. Have you uh, seen much about this? Uh, I've seen images from it and, and the occasional clip, but uh, nothing uh, nothing more than that. Mm. I've seen the trailer like three times before mm. films that I've been to see the pictures. And um, uh, the trailer is really kind of uh, scant on any kind of details because I take it from just watching the trailer. There's like because the box trolls are non-verbal creatures; they don't communicate anything. So there's just kind of wacky voiceover man kind of doing a really inappropriate, they're crazy uh, kind of uh, description of what's going on, and not really much happening in terms of plot. But the uh, I mean, the studio like we we kind of. A, gone on about how much you like Paranorman in the past and, and Coraline uh, it's fantastic um, so this one is a must see for me uh, I think it's uh, I think they're probably one of the better animation studios working and with Pixar seeming to not perhaps drop the ball but kind of they've covered it in butter and they've not really got a, a strong handle on it uh, uh, I think that Studio Leica could be kind of moving into that um into that kind of uh, premium animation slot. It's especially good to see them, you know, having success with films that have a really distinct visual style uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, they, they do stop motion, which not really many people do these days. And I think that, you know, it's interesting to see people making sort of these dark and interesting and, and visually quite arresting animated films and, you know, having them be successes, especially in an area like animation, which is actually quite high risk because, you know, it's very uh, time and labour-inducive. And if you have a, a hit, it's great. And if you uh, if you don't, then, you know, that's hundreds of millions of dollars and years of your life down the drain. So uh, hopefully this will be another critical success and another uh, commercial hit for them because it's nice to see a studio with such a distinct voice uh, doing so well in, in Hollywood. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what have you got else? What else have you got uh, around around this time? Another animated film. Oh, hello. Uh, this time it's a film called uh, The Book of Life, which is uh, all about the, the Day of the Dead, the Mexican uh, holiday. And uh, it's a film that, uh, you know, is, is quite, seems to be quite dark uh, in, in that it's about death and, and people travelling in the... Uh, in the the underworld but it's also very kind of bright and vibrant and it looks amazing and uh, it's produced by Guillermo del Toro who I think has been kind of 
pushing it for quite a few years and I think it's something of a, uh, a passion project for him. So uh, I am I'm really intrigued to see how that one turns out. And I'm really, really excited to see a, f- a film from a kind of a major studio uh, trying to really kind of bring uh, sort of something from Mexican culture uh, to, you know, a, a wide uh, mainstream uh, audience. Here's a controversial viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Del Toro uh, needs a hit. Right. Uh, in terms of uh, quite a few things he's done recently have not gone down particularly well. Mm. Now, I uh, will we'll kind of bring up Pacific Room here, um, which, uh, I mean, I know you liked it. <laughs> and I, I know a lot of people liked it, but let me correct you, it's terrible. <laughs> Um, and uh, the strain didn't go down particularly well. No, uh, I think it got really good ratings, but uh, yeah, critically, it's probably one of the worst received things he's been involved with. Yeah, um, and you know, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, we might be on shaky ground. Well, yeah, maybe uh, in in terms of critics and audiences, but uh, you know, I think personally, he's probably doing all right because. Uh, He's got all that lovely uh, Hobbit cash coming in because he's still uh, credited as co-writing all those films. That's just perfect, isn't it? Like, <laughs> Worked out for him. I remember, that, like, I'm going to kind of uh, uh, just kind of tell this story anyway, mm-hmm. uh, even though uh, I haven't fact-checked it. and I, It was a long time ago, so I can't remember if all these these uh, uh, kind of details are in any way accurate. Um, but I'm just going to just tell it anyway. Doesn't matter, i Yeah, absolutely. Um, I seem to remember, like, in the kind of uh, mid-90s, Sharon Stone was attached to a, a, a film, and it was a film that had potential for, like, loads of sequels, and she signed up for it, said, I'll do it, and then I think the director that was signed on to do it dropped out. Um, therefore, her contract that she'd signed was null and void because she wanted to work with that director, but she got paid anyway, and she got paid, like, tens of millions of pounds. And I was just like, that's surely the best gig. That's a racket, that's a racket to be in with that director. I tell you what, we'll both sign up for this. You pull out and I'll split, I'll split the money with you. Yeah, I think the same thing happened a few years ago with, um, with Brad Pitt on uh, State of Play because he was attached to star in that with Edward Norton. Mm. Uh, and, and the film, you know, got close to being made and then just completely fell apart uh, and ended up being made, uh, you know, a few years later. But I always thought that that was great because... Uh, they, neither of them were able to had to be involved with this sort of mediocre, poorly received film, uh, but they still got paid and they got to go off and do projects that they, you know, actually might have wanted to do more or which you know were perhaps more kind of artistically rewarding. Mm. Uh, so that worked out great for them. Yeah, weird. weird. Oh, no wonder like this like films cost so fucking much money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just throwing that kind of cash around. I mean, what you know? I don't. I just don't get it. Anyway. That. I think there, I think there is a potential for a producer-style farce about you know an actor signing up to a big-budget film and then doing everything they can to try and make sure it never gets made. Okay, okay, I'm writing this down as we speak. <laughs> um, what else have you got on the list? Uh, I've got a film called Saint Vincent, which is not about the continued adventures of the of Annie Clark, uh, the great uh, singer-songwriter, uh, but is in fact uh, a film in which uh, Bill Murray uh, plays mm-hmm. a uh, elderly uh, curmudgeon sort of figure uh, who is... Um, hang on, hang on, sorry, can you just stop there? Yeah. Bill Murray playing an old curmudgeon? I know, it's a stretch. Wow, wow. 
I don't know if he can pull that off. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it's very different for him, but it's a. Uh, it, it looks uh, interesting. It, it, he plays a a guy who uh, is kind of this guy who's kind of cut himself off from the world emotionally, but he has to look after this young kid. And uh, you know, it's got a lot of interesting things going on. You know, it's got Melissa McCarthy doing a slightly more serious role. The only kind of caveat I have with it other than the fact that, you know, it hasn't been seen, so there aren't really any reviews to judge it against, is that I saw the trailer for it, and it reminded me a lot of the Michael Douglas, Doug, Diane Keaton uh, vehicle, and so it goes, which just came out and was hated by everyone. Uh, so uh, my my main concern at this point is that the film, while it could still be quite kind of scabrously funny and, and interesting, uh, could uh, still end up being just like the art house, uh, the more acceptable to the art house, version of a film that people already rejected but still uh, bill murray is someone who generally has a pretty good taste when it comes to choosing his projects so uh especially those garfield movies yeah them and uh, obviously hyde park on the hudson which won all of the oscars uh, a couple mm-hmm. of years ago yeah uh, but still it seems to him be him in like broken flowers sort of uh, mode and although i'm not i doubt it will be as good as broken flowers because a few things are uh, i think that you know there's still a lot of potential there uh, for him to to do something really interesting with the role that seems to be playing to his kind of darker more it's kind of biting side of his uh, his personality um there's a film called fury coming out um which is a world war ii drama with uh, bradley pitts um, with uh, an incredibly moody poster with uh, Brad Pitt kind of like lean. It looks like he might, he's about to be sick off the side of a ship, um, <laughs> but with a very kind of bleak and dark sky, ominous gathering above him, uh, perhaps symbolising uh, some of the struggles he might face in that film. <laughs> Uh, nah, I think it was. It's just a, um, a dark sky. Uh, I don't think uh, films uh, do symbolism much. Uh, I think it was just a really dark day when they filmed it. Yeah, quite possibly. Uh, have you got? Have you? Do you know any details on that, or are we just basically riffing on the poster? Uh, I believe it's directed by David Ayers, who directed End of Watch and, and wrote uh, Training Day. Uh, I believe he's involved. Yep. Yep. Uh, and he, uh, you know, also directed the Arnold Schwarzenegger film uh, Sabotage earlier this year, so I think he is. this is his attempt shot at redemption. Um, uh, you know, it, it looks interesting. I mean, there's not really been that many kind of boyzone-style World War II dramas coming out recently. Uh, mm. You know, it's quite a rare thing still, and uh, although I'm sure it'll be quite dark in, in places because anyone who's seen End of Watch will know that David Ayers can craft a kind of indelibly horrifying image um, or two. Uh, But even then, you know, it certainly seems like something that, you know, you don't see come along that often. And even though it will undoubtedly be compared to to Inglourious Bastards, because you can't avoid those comparisons if you're making a World War II drama starring Brad Pitt. um, Mm. I still think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that one turns out and see if it does kind of play into... You know that that kind of genre that that uh, you know I was talking about. Mm. Just like to point out again, and I, I've already made this joke once on the podcast before. Mm. You did say boys' own adventures, yeah, and that to me does instantly like bring up the possibility of a kind of Dirty Dozen style film featuring the the nineties boy band Boyzone. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame they didn't uh, make more films films featuring them when they had the chance. Mm. Well, I found out the other day that. Um, 
There was one in Boyzone. He's the one that no one ever remembers. I think his name was Mikey Graham. Mm. Uh, he was the one who looked like, you know, he just won a competition to be in the <laughs> to make the numbers up, you know. But he, he was like a martial artist, and he made he made an Irish kickboxing film. Wow. Uh, which I will look up the name of and uh, we'll share on a future podcast. Maybe have a watch along. Uh, but it sounded amazing. Slash incredibly bad. Oh, yeah. It can only really be one of those two. Um, yeah, I think it's a shame, really, that we don't have uh, people just kind of taking pop bands and cramming them into genre films, you know, the way that they used to do in the, the 60s and uh, the 70s. Uh, mm. I think it's a shame they don't do that anymore. Do you remember at the height of Britpop that... Uh, um, Steven Spielberg had signed a deal with Supergrass to make a kind of monkey-style film about them. Do you remember I, this? I do remember that, and I remember it sounding like the uh, like the, the absolute craziest idea imaginable. <laughs> do you think that Steven Spielberg had based that entirely on the video for All Right, in which Supergrass are clearly parodying the monkeys? Yeah, I think he probably saw that and thought, oh, it'd be fun to just kind of mess around with these guys running around Port Merion for... Mm hours on end um uh you know combining up the the monkeys and the prisoner which in many ways is, is kind of the entire uh summation of the supergrass aesthetic really there you go we went from boy zone to to the prisoner when we're supposed to be talking about a world war ii drama <laughs> uh, called the fury uh what's next on your list Ed? Uh, next on my list is uh, Interstellar, which I think we talked about a little bit before, but uh, you know, is this the first time we've talked about it since the trailers debuted? Uh, you know, the latest film by uh, Christopher Nolan, uh, you know, about uh, a man, uh, a team, travelling uh, in space uh, to save the Earth somehow. Uh, and the trailer looks looks great, looks visually very interesting, looks like it's kind of delving into, into hard sci-fi. Um, which is is a new kind of territory for for Nolan, uh, and I think that you know uh, everything about it looks good. You know, it looks amazing. Uh, but most importantly, you know, it's Nolan science fiction, space travel, and uh, Matthew McConaughey. So you know, I, mm. I don't know what more you could possibly want. Mm. I like the way you said hard sci-fi. It makes it sound <laughs> really dirty <laughs> uh, and kind of just like forbidden sci-fi. Mm. Um, we did say, uh, kind of off air, that we wouldn't go on about a lot of films we'd already talked about on the preview episode at the start of the year. Uh, Interstellar was one, but I'd just like to bring up another we talked about, um, uh, which is Birdman, uh, mm. which is uh, another film that we previewed just on the basis it sounded incredibly odd. Um, uh, it's, it stars Michael Keaton as an actor who is most famous for playing a superhero, but he's trying to kind of resurrect his career on Broadway. Well, the trailer dropped for that recently, and Man Alive, that looks fucking awesome. Yeah, uh, they played that before my screening of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> okay. uh, uh, which uh, which went over weirdly with the crowd, a very mixed reaction, because the rest of the trailers were all kind of action, superhero, kind of sci-fi sort of things, and then suddenly you get this dark, visually arresting, crazy comedy... Uh, which, you know, the trailer ends with uh, Michael Keaton fighting Edward Norton in their mm. pants. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I hadn't seen the trailer prior to that, uh, so that was my first time watching it, and uh, it, I was really glad I got to see it on the big screen because, you know, the film went from being something that I was sort of interested in but also a bit kind of uh, a bit kind of dubious about because I don't really like uh, Inuitu's work, but, you know, the trailer... Uh, made it look like some uh, unlike anything he's done before you know certainly in tone 
uh, and yeah, it just it just looks fascinating to me. It just looks really, really, really cool and interesting. And obviously, Michael Keaton's an amazing actor who doesn't really get a chance to show off his range much these days. And, and the idea of watching him play someone clearly having a, a massive nervous breakdown is uh, is very enticing. But um, mm. you know, obviously, uh, most importantly, it allows you to kind of watch people fighting in their pants. You know, that's all we really want. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, don't want to kind of sound pretentious, but uh, Kenji Kenji Mizuguchi, the great Japanese director, said that like uh, if you watch um, a film on television, it's like watching goldfish in a tank. Uh, but if you watch a film in the cinema, it's like watching sharks swim by your window. <laughs> um, and uh, I want to see people in their pants fighting on a big screen. Basically, is all I'm trying to say. I mean, I wasn't trying to sound just by you know throwing a little Gucci quote in there, but do you know, seriously, see that on the big screen. What what have you got kind of uh, moving towards uh, the kind of winter end of the autumn winter preview? Uh, next on my list is a film called Big Hero Six, uh, which is um, hmm, the new Disney, is it? Uh, yes, the new Disney film and the first uh, animated uh, film from Marvel Studios, who you know we we talked about recently. Uh, you know, I've seen the trailer for it, and it looks uh, adorable. Uh, it really, really looks very cute. It's uh, set in a kind of a future uh, world in which uh, Tokyo and San Francisco have basically become the same place. Uh, and, you know, it's about a young boy who has a kind of a balloon robot that follows him around, and he decides to strap a suit of armour on him and uh, turn him into a superhero. And, uh, you know, it looks it looks visually very cool, very interesting, you know, great animation. And uh, the tone of it reminded me a little bit of, of Wreck-It Ralph with some very funny, uh, you know, kind of slapstick mm. stuff in it. Uh, and, you know, I think it, it looks like it could be uh, interesting. And if nothing else, it's just interesting to see how Marvel continues to kind of spread their tendrils into pretty much every form of media. Um, is uh, a Pixar of a film out uh, this year? They don't, do they? Uh, no, they were meant to have a film. I think they had the Good Dinosaur due to come out this year, but uh, that ended up getting pushed back due to uh, problems. Yeah. Is is that a good thing? Because oh, I mean, I alluded to it earlier. I didn't allude to it. I just said it. Uh, the films are getting worse. Uh, um, not kind of exponentially getting worse, but the the quality has the bar has lowered uh, significantly. Um, a year off, good for them. But I mean, they're just going to come back with is it Finding Nemo two? They're doing. Yeah, they've got uh, Finding Dory, but I think the next one they've got out is uh, Inside Out, which is uh, sounds interesting because it's a, a film in which Amy Poehler is cast as the personification of joy, which uh, I think is pretty much perfect casting, uh, really. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you're right. The, uh, the the last couple of films they made have have not quite hit the heights of their their kind of mid kind of two uh, thousands uh, stuff, uh, but. You know, I, I, you know, Brave wasn't terrible, um, and, and uh, Monsters Inc. Monsters University had a lot to recommend it, uh, but you know, I think that taking a year away could probably be good because you know they've put out a film every year since two thousand and uh, since two thousand and six. I think a, a year away might allow people the chance to remember you know what what they do so well, and hopefully it'll mean that they can kind of hammer the good dinosaur and inside out into really, you know, great shape and, and remind people, you know, what a great studio they, they were. Um, kind of moving more towards the kind of festive season, uh, I couldn't really find any festive films, but you've got your kind of, uh, your big hitters. Uh, we've also got The Hobbit 3 coming out. Um, 
Uh, have you seen any of the Hobbit films yet, Ed? Because you'd kind of stayed well clear of them last time we spoke. Yeah, I watched the first one on the plane uh, coming back from Dockfest a couple of years ago. Mm. It's rubbish, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's awful. Yeah, I watched two the other day and um, everyone had said, oh, it's better than one. Um, and I can confirm it is, but not by a great deal. Mm. Um, and I would probably argue that uh, Mr. Jackson and co are slightly starting to undo some of the good work they did with those three films they made back in the early 2000s. Because not in a kind of Star Wars prequel kind of sense, that's definitely in a Matrix sequel sense. Yeah, I watched the first, I want to say hour of, of the second Hobbit film, but I think it may have only been the first uh, half hour. And uh, yeah, it was just, you know, it, it reminded me of, of the stuff that I really liked about The Lord of the Rings that carries over now, you know, and, and, and even the stuff that I like about The Hobbit, you know, Martin he- he- Freeman's, you know, great, and, you know, some of the, every time there's kind of physicality involved, it, it looks really cool, but, you know, every time, you know, they have the, the you know, the fully CGI orcs running around, uh, it just turns into like a cutscene from World of Warcraft. It just looks really, really mm. terrible. And, uh, yeah, it just doesn't have any of the kind of the gritty uh, physicality and weight that the, the early Lord of the Rings films have, uh, you know, and it, it's a shame, really, because, you know, when, you know, those early Lord of the Rings films really stack up because there's some kind of practical effects in it, but as they become more and more CGI, they just look worse. You know, they look worse than the films made a decade ago. I know. I'd say that in the second one, if you didn't watch more than the first hour, you wouldn't have got to the uh, the uh, river escape in the barrels, which in the book, mm. The Hobbit, is a really cool sequence, but it's kind of stretched out into this hyper-elaborate chase scene involving elves and orcs and the tr- the uh, the dwarves in the barrels and it is fucking awful <laughs> it it looks it looks like um like uh it goes so fast it's just a blur of nonsense and like uh it's just so even for you know a thing a sequence set in middle earth with elves and trolls and all that jazz it's so wildly implausible yeah that, that you don't, like we've talked before about, uh, certainly in the first Hobbit film, about there being like no, literally no sense of peril whatsoever, that they could just fall from great heights and, and you know, just be dropped with a thousand goblins on top of them and just crawl out at the end and be like just dusting themselves off like they were in the A-team or something. <laughs> um, but this is even worse. It's just, yeah, it's, it's so awful. I wouldn't recommend it at all. Um, uh, complete also with the addition of uh, an unnecessary uh, love triangle for no reason. Oh, God, yeah, a really weird interspecies love triangle. And uh, the addition of attractive dwarves, which uh, categorically haven't been a thing mm. in the past. Uh, you know, there uh, haven't been any need for dwarves to look pretty in the previous yeah, films. Yeah, it's, yeah, just, oh, I just kind of really, I feel really awful for, for uh, you know, fans of the original ones because it really is just kind of uh, flogging a dead horse and the horse just is a CGI horse and it's had enough. So will you be seeing Battle of the Five Armies in 48 frames per second on, uh, in IMAX on opening day this year? Well if you're going to see it you got to see it in the highest <laughs> quality available. Um, are they still doing that? I think so. Uh, they didn't promote it uh, as as being a thing in the last one, and they don't seem to be promoting it for this one. But mm. that's how they were shot, and I assume that's how they're still being 
shown and i think you know that that really shows up the 48 frames per second thing shows up in the when you watch it in 2d because everything is kind of horribly sleek and horribly Mm. smooth you know as if all the camera operators are traveling around on uh traveling around on roller skates and and on speed uh you know it's it's Mm. really smooth and you know just watching half an hour of it uh the other night you know it, it it kind of made me feel kind of motion sick which I certainly never felt watching the the original trilogy in the cinema. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, ragging on that aside, uh, what else have we got kind of towards the, right at the very end of the year? Uh, well, uh, we've got a lot of films coming out on Christmas Day this year in the States. You know, Christmas Day is, is traditionally uh, one of the busy, busiest uh, movie-going days of the year because, mm. uh, of course, everyone has to escape their families after a while and go to the cinema. Uh, you know, this year we've got American Sniper, which is the second film of uh, 2014 from Clint Eastwood and about a, a, a an American soldier played by Bradley Cooper who... Uh, it's kind of it's kind of a passion project for him. Uh, he plays a guy. He's a, he was a sniper who uh, killed uh, two hundred people. Uh, right. You've got a uh, hundred confirmed kills, wow. and uh, uh, he uh, he you know he he went to war and he killed uh, uh, all these people in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, but I think it's it's a film about kind of violence and the effect of violence on you know on him. You know when he comes back to the, and tries to reintegrate into into uh, civilian life and uh, i think you know uh, eastwood can be hit or miss uh, he can hit really hard or he can miss really badly uh, uh, but when he is engaged with the the material he's working with he can be great and i think this touches on a lot of themes that you see in stuff like uh, unforgiven and and uh, grant ring you know and mm. i think that you know uh, cooper you know, bradley cooper has has really committed to it you know he's added something like 50 pounds of muscle so he's now huge and looks like you know someone from pain and gain or something and uh you know i think he is someone who is kind of still searching for his kind of definitive role as an actor i think the the commitment that he's shown so far to the film just in terms of his his kind of huge physical transformation suggests that you know he is gonna kind of bring something to this role and you know you know uh, working with eastward you know who's kind of an unfussy director but someone who can bring tremendous depth of feeling to uh, you know, whatever he's doing, especially when, you know, as I say, when it engages him, uh, I think it could be, you know, very, very interesting. Mm, I've got a question. Um, these 200 people he killed, were they enemy combatants or was he just picking off, like, peasants and villagers? Uh, no, I think they were enemy combatants. Oh, OK. Uh, it wasn't just a, you know, a mass murder or anything. Mm, yeah, because... I, that's not a hero to me. Mm. Uh, someone who just guns down innocent people uh, to get his tally up, uh, to probably to level up on Call of Duty. <laughs> um, I've picked out... Uh, they've remade Annie, haven't they? Mm. Yeah, with Coventure uh, and A. Wallace and, uh, and Jamie Foxx. And more importantly, Bobby Cannavale. Yes, Bobby Cannavale, the most uh, charismatic man alive. And mm. uh, Cameron Diaz, whose musical abilities I'm not very aware of, apart from uh, that one song mm. she wrote for The Sweetest Thing. Oh, God, you just reminded me that that's <laughs> a thing. That actually happened. I think when, when like, uh, like the Earth is kind of, like, consumed by the sun mm. in, like, a couple of million years' time, or I don't know when it is, it might be, couple of years time i'm not sure um and like we put everything that humans have ever done it's like a time capsule because you'd be able to fit it onto like a polo mint or whatever by that point yeah and we eject it into space and an ancient 
uh, like kind of alien race discovers it and watches everything we've ever done, they will get to the bit in the sweetest thing with that song about the guy's dick, and they'll be like, "What the fuck was this?" Yeah, that is not a highlight of her career uh, or, or you know, humanity in general, really. <sighs> yeah, human existence uh, can't be defined by that one moment. <laughs> um, yeah. Mm. Uh, so is that, Annie's not a Christmas Day one, though, is it? Uh, no, I think it's either the week before or early December, around that time. What else, what else is, is Santa bringing us on Christmas Day? Uh, he's dre- bringing us a, a new Tim Burton film, and mm. for once that's perhaps not something to dread, uh, you know, because uh, it's not a, a CGI shitfest, as a lot of his more recent films have been. It's a, it's a drama, a return to uh, a kind of more realistic kind of fiction that he hasn't really done in a while. It's called Big Eyes. Uh, it's about uh, these uh, two... Pa- well, uh, this painter called uh, Walter Keane, who became very famous in the 60s for uh, painting these pictures of, of children, very big eyes. They were quite iconic figures. Uh, but then, you know, some years after he had kind of made his name, his his wife Margaret, who was played by Amy Adams in the film, uh, came forward and said, uh, actually, no, I was the one who drew these. And Walter, who who's played by uh, Christoph Waltz in the film, uh, you know, took, just came in and took all the credit. And, you know, like I say, it's kind of a, a return to kind of uh, drama. It's more of a relationship drama and a kind of a court case than... Uh, fantasy or anything else he's been doing recently. It's, it really this is the first time he's done anything like this since uh, Ed Wood. And uh, I think this is uh, written by the guys who did Ed Wood as well. Uh, mm. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really curious to see how he does with this. I'm really hoping that it, it ends up being good because Tim Burton's been making, you know, bad films for so long now. <laughs> um, and I think uh, this could hopefully allow him to, to kind of turn against or away from all of his kind of worse ticks, you know, all this, uh, all the stuff he's been doing uh, in recent years, all the dark shadows and, and everything. So uh, I, I'm, I'm very, very intrigued to see what he has to offer with, uh, with big eyes. Uh, also on Christmas Day, we've got the interview, the latest one from Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, which, uh, if nothing else, you know, may be the uh, the comedy that leads to a uh, nuclear war between uh, the uh, the US and North Korea. Wow. Uh, yeah, I kind of nervous wait for the numbers on that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, you know, the, uh, I'm, I'm really excited for that one because, you know, those guys made This Is The End, which was a really entertaining film and, you know, really kind of played on, on their personas really interestingly and, and really entertainingly. Uh, and I'm just I'm just fascinated by it because it's such a, a crazy idea to make a film about the two guys who go to North Korea in order to kill uh, Kim Jong Un. You know, mm. uh, I'm not really sure uh, of sort of any film that really has ever done that. I mean, Daffy Duck hit Hitler in the head with a hammer in World War Two once, and uh, uh, in Hot Shots Part Two they they killed Saddam Hussein with a chicken. But uh, I think, <laughs> but. Other than that, I can't really think of any instances of people doing stuff like that. At the opening of, of um, Naked Gun, it's kind of like a who's who of dictators being taken out by Frank Drebin, So Yeah, so it continues in a, in a rich comedic tradition. Um, but, you know, uh, if nothing else, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see if the film can be, you know, funny enough to justify the end of all life on Earth. So, you know, that's a, that's a high, high bar to clear. Mm, absolutely. Um, so that's kind of pretty much films for the year. 
Um, we've got like five minutes now um, to kind of just quickly run over. Um, there's some TV that's coming your way. Um, I'm going to quickly run through the, the, the shows that are returning. And Ed, uh, in true shot reverse shot fashion, I'd like uh, a rating out of uh, eight of how excited you are um, for the following shows that are returning before we talk about the new shows. Uh, the Good Wife. Uh, seven and a half. So, oh, nice. The Mindy Project. Uh, five. Five. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a good show, but it's not something I kind of go out of my way to watch. It's all right. Mm, well, fair enough. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, six. Six. Yeah, I heard that it got better, you know, towards the second half of the season after they stopped waiting around for Captain America 2 to come out, which kind of what was they were kind of building towards. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it does in the second season. Uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Eight. Yes. Uh, that's that's uh, a super show. Um, and uh, Boardwalk Empire is coming to a close. Uh, probably seven. Yeah, that show's but get, getting better has been getting better over the years, and even though I think they're ending under in a, under terms they're not happy with, uh, I think it'd be interesting to see how it goes out. Um, this, we spoke about Marvel last week, and um, obviously Angels of Shield uh, is a is a kind of Marvel property, but uh, comics are uh, kind of everywhere as we talked about last week. Uh, but they're now infecting television. Agents of Shield has got a spin-off called uh, Agent Carter. Um, we're going to have TV shows. Talk about new shows now. We've got Gotham, uh, the Batman prequel. Uh, we've got Constantine, which uh, hopefully will be better than the Keanu Reeves film that uh, was the first attempt to adapt that comic book. Uh, the Flash is another one. It's just a spin-off of Arrow. Um, when will it end, Ed? When will it end? Not until we get our Howard the Duck miniseries. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in in terms of actual like good telly uh, coming <laughs> up, um, we've got the intriguing proposition of uh, Grace Point, which is the American remake of the British show Broadchurch, which was fantastic. Yeah, and with uh, David Tennant reprising his role, but uh, with an American accent this time, which is uh, weird. Uh, I'm not sure of many instances where that's happened. Yeah, uh, they've replaced Olivia yeah. Coleman with uh, Anna Gunn, which is a uh, good casting. Yeah, that's a that's a, that's a very solid uh, choice. Although uh, I'm not sure if uh, if they ever uh, make a, a remake of Peep Show in the US, I'm not sure they should follow that mm. that logic. I'm not sure she'd be quite able to handle the comedy as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I saw the the first trailer for Grace Point, and it was. Uh, it was disconcerting how close it seemed to mirror the, the look of Broadchurch yeah. uh, in in kind of literally kind of a shot-for-shot shot remake kind of way. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, yeah. And uh, lastly, we'll talk about, um, quickly, Steven Soderbergh. Hey, he hadn't retired after all. Um, he is directing all ten episodes, I believe, of The Nick, um, which has started in the US. Um uh, it's about the kind of the birth of the, the kind of birth of modern medicine, isn't it, Clive Owen? Yeah, with with Clive Owen, and as you say, di- directed and I believe written by Soderbergh, and also as is his want, uh, direct uh, uh, shot and edited by him as well, because uh, I think he feels like Louis C.K. has been showing him up, right, in the, in the one man band kind of set, uh, uh, stakes. But yeah, that's got some fantastic reviews and people saying that it's it's a really fantastic work and obviously you know it's it's good to see Clive Owen getting a, a role that 
kind of is worthy of his talents because I think he's kind of been floundering in film for a little while now. So mm. uh, hopefully uh, this will be at the start of a fruitful relationship with uh, Steven Soderbergh and television because mm. if he's not going to make films, uh, I, I'd be perfectly happy to, to make great television. Yeah, uh, Clive Owen uh, is destined to be on the next Gillette advert at this rate his uh, <laughs> career decline. Anyway, that's a whistle-stop uh, tour through uh, the latter end of 2014, at the business end, as we start to get into the Oscars for next year, etc., etc. Um, so, yeah, I hope that you find something to enjoy in there. Um, and if you didn't enjoy it, it's not our fault. Um, so, until next time, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thank you.